Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. So we're continuing our series today on the Presbyterian flavor of Christianity, and we are going to look at leadership. So we're going to start reading from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and I invite you to listen now for a word from God. Now during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to keep accounts. Therefore, brothers and sisters, select from among yourselves seven good men of standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So a few weeks ago, over break, Darcy and I were doing some activities that were best done with a show playing in the background. We were dyeing hair, we were doing a puzzle, those types of things. So she got out her iPad and put on a new version of one of my favorite book series when I was younger, The Babysitter's Club. Now, the premise of the books is that a group of girls starts practicing their independence by forming a babysitting company in their small town. The girls meet certain days to take calls from parents and set up sitters on their calendar. There's a president who runs the meetings, a secretary who keeps track of the calendar, and a treasurer who organizes the dues which pay the club's phone bill. The whole first book is about establishing who will do what and how the group will function. Saying the church is the babysitter's club, but I am saying that every group of humans who wants to get something accomplished, whether it's a company or a center of worship or a school, they've got to figure out how to organize themselves, right? In the church world, we call this polity. Polity defines who does what and why. And in case you'd like to go looking, there is no one set polity in the Bible. Um, in the Old Testament, there are many different models for being a faith community. Initially, we see the patriarchal system, right? So Abraham Abraham is the head of the household and also the head of God's chosen people. Later, there are judges, a group of men and women who offer wisdom and guidance to the tribal communities in the country countryside of Israel. And after um, after the judges come the time of the kings, and the nation of Israel is then shaped into a kingdom with the temple run by a family of priests. And then with the Babylonian exile of the government, the worshiping life is really disrupted and priests and prophets, even without a temple, try to gather people in smaller synagogues to worship and learn and care for the impoverished. Then we have the birth of the Christian church after Christ. And talk about learning to scale. (laughs) By the sixth chapter of Acts, the 12 apostles are overwhelmed by the needs of the community. And we see in our reading today, which we will revisit, that the apostles are having a hard time teaching people about Jesus and caring for those who have specific needs in the community. 
So additional leaders are then selected with different talents to make sure vulnerable people are fed. Words for leadership like elders and deacons and bishops, brothers and sisters, apostles, disciples, and prophets, they're all introduced as options as the church encounters different cultures and presents different needs. But the New Testament itself only tracks the very, very early organized expressions of the church. I mean, we've been around over 2,000 years now, and we kind of know what happens next. The church does continue to grow. It's eventually subsumed by the Roman Empire. The Pope is established. Priests are formalized. Women are booted from leadership, and that was a historical afterthought. Um, women enjoyed a lot more significant leadership earlier in the church rather than later. And the church then strikes different paths in the east of Europe and the west. And you can sing that fun Constantinople um, song if you'd like. But fast forward to the Reformation, where the polity of the Western Catholic Church is significantly questioned, and more options are then offered. So instead of a large centralized figure like the Pope, there are now some options of groups of leaders who start to meet to discern the church life together. Um, different expressions that come from this are familiar to us, right? Like Presbyterians or Lutherans. Those are two most familiar. And then on and on history marches and the church changes. If someone ever comes to you and says, well, this is how it's done and always has been about leadership in the church, please know that that's baloney. <laughs> it's baloney because it's historically not true. And because it is historically not true, it means we do need another way to define the way we decide on leadership and the way we organize ourselves based on maybe some different requirements than just history. So I want to now revisit that Acts chapter 6 um, passage. It's just after Jesus has left and the church is blossoming and growing, especially in Jerusalem. And much like today, the church has many roles and functions. Uh, yes, it is where people are shaped in their faith by learning about Jesus and about God and love. But it's also a community that lives out that love through caring for others. In the first century, women and children who did not have male representation in the political system, like perhaps their fathers have died or they don't have brothers or they're unmarried or widows, they were left often resourceless without a male representative, right? So the church then took it upon itself, as did the contemporary Jewish synagogues, to care for those who were left without protection. In our story for today, we see that all of these responsibilities have become a bit unwieldy for just the select few in charge. Um, it act, and I actually, it, it takes a lot of courage, I think, and a fair amount of self-awareness to say, well, too much on my plate. I need help. Um, but the, the leaders admit they can't do it all. Um, they might not even be equipped to do the tasks in front of them. I mean, not everyone excellent at prayer is also excellent at keeping the accounts, right? So they delegate. They choose different leaders to head up the caregiving aspects of the church. The leaders are not selected, however, um, based on Adam Grant's latest book on organizational management. Um, people are instead selected on two qualities. They were wise and they listened to the spirit of God. The minimum job requirements, the core of what they needed to be and do, involve wisdom and being filled with the spirit. Now, these are fairly broad in definition, right? Wisdom and the spirit. So I went exploring about wisdom first this week, 
and I consulted my Bible dictionaries, which often actually wield some pretty helpful results. Um, they went through the different instances in the Bible where wisdom is consulted or talked about or given an example of. And for the most part, wisdom is seen as a practical form of insight. And if it's God's wisdom, even better, right? So wisdom can help you make these decisions. We all know the story of the two women fighting over a baby in front of King Solomon, asking for his wisdom on who is the real mother. And he suggests they cut the baby in half to share it. And the real mother is obviously horrified at this suggestion, refuses to comply, and is thus revealed and rewarded with her child back, right? So like practical wisdom. <laughs> we had our leadership team retreat this last weekend. On Friday, people were asked to share a moment of experiencing leadership in their life. Jake Hill shared a story about some wisdom from his father. Jake was a senior patrol leader to a new group of boys who had been together for a long time. And the parents of the boys were perhaps a bit too invested. <laughs> Jake had done something that frustrated the parents and they were laying into him. So Jake's dad pulled him out of the room to have a talk amidst the tension. And he asked Jake, if they were to ask you to build a car, would you try to do it? And Jake, being young and learning wisdom, but perhaps not there yet in this instance, said, yes. What a moment for this dad to help him understand the wisdom in not being everything to everyone, not having all the answers, not carrying the entire load. I can think of so many wise aha moments from just this very short interaction of wisdom. This is the wisdom of a good leader with his son, a good leader in training. So as we choose our leaders and develop our own leadership abilities, we need to talk about and develop wisdom. The second thing we see in Acts 6 is the importance of being full of the Spirit. The partner books of the Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostles make more references to the Spirit's presence and help than any other, other books in the Bible. Um, and from this writer's perspective, things are done well when they are done in the power of God's Spirit. The best of church and love and leadership happens alongside God. So how do you make yourself full of the spirit? That is a question for the ages. But one thing that stands out in all the traditions is prayer, right? Knowing God's wisdom means spending time in God's presence. My favorite working definitions of prayer all focus less on the words I'm saying to God and the requests I'm making and more about slowing down and paying attention to God's spirit already at work. One of my favorites, Barbara Brown Taylor, um, offers us brother David Steindelrass definition of prayer. She says, and it's, it's a long quote, so stick with me. She says, prayer is, is waking up to the presence of God, no matter where I am or what I'm doing. When I'm fully alert to whatever or whoever is right in front of me, when I'm electrically aware of the tremendous gift of being alive, when I'm able to give myself wholly to the moment I'm in, then I am in prayer. Prayer is happening. And it's not necessarily something that I am doing God is happening, and I am lucky enough to know that I am in the midst. There is an enlarged awareness when you are full of the Spirit, a hope that the veil is thin between what we experience and the Spirit that animates us. This is being full of the Spirit. But you know, I also love another way Taylor engages prayer, and this is through a story she tells of her granddaughter, Madeline. At Madeline's seventh birthday party, she was asked to make a wish and blow out the candle. But Madeline hadn't had much luck with that in the past, so she said, why bother? Taylor says we often consider prayer similar to wishing. 
And when prayer doesn't come true, right, in, in quotation marks, we give up. But Taylor sees the effectiveness of prayer not in how things turn out, but in the fact that prayer keeps our hearts chasing after God's heart. It's how we bother God and how God bothers us back. There's nothing that works any better than that. And what I want Madeline to know, she says, is that the best thing about prayer is the relationship itself. Being full of the spirit, full of the relationship, full of the chase. That's what leadership is about. I would say the formal polity, right? The structures, all of these things come after the two important things of wisdom and the spirit of God. In the Presbyterian church, the structure itself, once you've found those wise and spirit-filled folks who are willing to serve, is much like the U.S. government. Um, We choose leaders who, for a set amount of time, use their wisdom and spirit and make decisions on our behalf to guide us and lead us in the ways of God. At Ormwood Church, this looks like a leadership team, which met this weekend to set priorities as we finish up our last year of a four-year strategic plan. This is different from other styles of church, right? Um, There's a whole spectrum. So at one end of church polity, you have churches where most of the decisions are made by people in authority who have been trained for that. And on the other end of the spectrum, some churches actually allow for each and every person in the congregation to have an equal vote on all decisions, right? Presbyterian Church is somewhere in the middle. We elect people to represent us in making these decisions. Which of these is best? I think the history of the Christian church reminds us that we can't all agree on that. Um, But in the definition of the leaders that lead us as elders in the Presbyterian tradition, guess what qualifications we look for first? And this is reading from the Book of Order. Accordingly, congregations should elect persons of wisdom and maturity of faith, having demonstrated skills in leadership and being compassionate in, guess what, the spirit. These are the essentials of organizing ourselves well and developing leaders. We return to wisdom and to being open to the presence and influence of the Spirit of God. Now, for those of you who are sitting here thinking, I'm not a leader, I'm sorry, but we also believe in the sainthood of all believers. Um, There'll be a sermon on that later in this series, which is this common call for all of us in official and organic ways to lead with the gifts God has given us. So we are all asked to be wise, right? We are all asked to be bugging God and having God bug us back. This is the work of those in explicit leadership, but it's also the work of those in the wings, those in supporting roles, those who care, give, or keep accounts. This is the call for all of us. No exemptions made. At the end of every leadership team retreat for the last few years, we've closed with something called the Liturgy for the Labors of Community from the book Every Moment Holy. And I'm going to end this sermon with a small excerpt from it, a blessing for all of us making this church thing work. You alone, O God, by your gracious and life-giving spirit, have power to knit our imperfect hearts, our weaknesses, our strengths, our stories, and our gifts one to another. Unite your people and multiply our meager offerings, O Lord, that all might resound to your glory. May our acts of service and creation be met and multiplied by the mysterious workings of your spirit who weaves all things together toward a redemption more good and glorious than we yet have eyes to see or even courage to hope for. Amen.